morning again, Doxa. If you missed it, my name's Ronnie, one of the pastors here. And this man right here is one of the big, <laughs> big babies I was referring to earlier. I don't know if that's, that didn't come out quite right. He, he represents one of the, the baby churches that our, our church is going mm. to give, give birth to. So this is Roger Osorio. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, that's where we're going to be this morning. He's going to be preaching through that. And Roger, before you teach, I just want to say on behalf of the Doxa family that there was a time where you and your team were just like these random strangers <laughs> to us that just showed up here. And maybe I was like the most looped in out of everybody of what was going on, but even I didn't totally know what was I going on. I mean, we on. had never met in person and I showed up at his house and I was like, I'm staying here, right? Just to be, yeah, you are so Ronnie, right? There, there's, there's too much backstory. If, you, if you're kind of like still confused as to who is this, what is going on in Japan, what does it mean to start a church? In Japan, you got to talk to this guy. We don't have time to get into it, but just know that that Roger and, and his team that is going to be going to Japan to start a church in the fall, they came here in truly this like unexpected blessing mm. because of COVID. They got yeah. they were missionaries overseas, got displaced, called mm. us up. We're like, hey, can we just be in Mad be in Madison with you guys and do ministry? And truly, man, when y'all leave mm. in the fall, you will be leaving as family, and we will yeah. be sad. Yeah. So we love you. Excited to hear you yeah. preach the word this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, good morning, Doxa. Uh, whether you're, you're here in person with us or you're tuning in online, um, just want to thank you for coming with us this morning. So, like Ronnie said, my name is Roger Osorio, and I am the Japan Church Plant leader. And in case you didn't know, we're planting a church in one of the places of greatest need in the world, Osaka, Japan. And so Osaka, Japan is, is a city um, in Japan that has around 20 million people, yet only 0.5% of them are Christians. And most people, the reality is that most people in Osaka are going to live and die, and they're never going to hear the gospel, they're never going to have read the Bible, they're never going to have attended church, and most of them will actually never even meet a Christian in their lives. And as a church, we really felt like God bring this opportunity before us and just welcome us to join him in the work that he is doing and that he will continue to do in Osaka, Japan. And so for us as a church, that really required three things. The first thing is it required for us to be a people of prayer. First, to actually like come to God continually and ask him, God, would you use us? Would you use us in what you are planning to do in Osaka, Japan? The second thing is it required laborers. It required people to actually say, okay, like I'm willing to go to Osaka, Japan. And like up to this point, God has graciously already provided a team of eight people that are set to move there this year. And lastly, it required financial support. So we, we knew as a church for us to actually go to Osaka, Japan and, and, and plant this church it was going to require finances. And so as a church, we came together and, and we said, what if we, we set a goal to initially raise $5,000 per month to just begin this work? And I'm just so honored to say that up to this point, I think we have about $5,500 per month already raised. I mean, like, praise God. Like, and guys, I'm just personally just, I want to say thank you. Like, so many of you have been just so generous with your time, with your resources, with your money, um, it truly is a testament, like how God is moving in this family to say that Jesus and his word and who he is, is worth giving up whatever it takes for those who don't know to hear that. And so, guys, if you still kind of want to know how to be involved with that, um, one thing you can do is just keep praying for us. Keep praying. First, keep praying for the team. Keep praying that we would continue to love God more every, 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 every single day. Because that is by far the most important thing that we need to be focusing on. And the second thing is pray for our visa. So we've applied for our visas and kind of once those gets approved, we, we're able to, to move over there. So just pray. Pray that God would, would have those approved so that we can move there this year. And then lastly, pray for Osaka, Japan. 
pray that a, a people who have walked in darkness, you know, for so long would see the light of Christ. And so feel free to come up to me after. I'd love to share with you more about it. Um, you can also go to our website, doxamadison.com, and under the church plants tab, you, you'll see uh, Osaka, Japan on there. And so as for today, like Ronnie said, we're, we're continuing through 1 Corinthians. And I have the honor to keep walking through 1 Corinthians with you today, and, and we'll be in chapter 8. And as I was preparing this message, as I was reading through this, um, one of the things that it brought to mind for me was that making decisions is hard, right? Like, am I the only one who feels that way? Can I get an amen? Like, making decisions is tough. It just really is. And you know what one of the hardest decisions for me to make is? Is deciding where to go eat when Eric and I go out to eat, when me and my wife go out to eat. Like, I don't know why, but it like paralyzes me, right? It's like everything else, I feel like I can be like pretty firm, pretty decisive, but it's like, so where do you want to go eat tonight for our date? And I was like, oh my gosh, I have no idea. It just like something in me just, just doesn't know what to do in those moments. And the more I've thought about it, the more I think this is like some deeply rooted issue in me, and now hear me out, as I've like, I've probably spent too much time thinking about this, right? But as I've t- taken a step back and thought about it, I'm like, I think this goes back to like the Garden of Eden, right? Because at the Garden of Eden, we chose the wrong place to go out to eat, and it like ruined everything. Like it literally ruined everything. So I think there's like still something in me. I know the stakes are like not that high, right? But there's like something still inside of me that's saying like, oh man, don't pick the wrong place again. And I know it's just like a super irrational fear, but, it, but it's there for me, you know. And so in the, in the text that we're going to go over today, it, it really has to do with choice and it has to do with food. But for the church of Corinthians, they didn't have an irrational fear like I had. They had a really valid question. Um, they seemed to, to send a letter to Paul and they seemed to ask him this question. Can we eat food that has been sacrificed to idols? And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 8. And we'll jump right in and see what he, what he says to this question. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Now about eating food sacrificed to idols then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat, and we are not better off if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple— won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat 
so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. So the first thing I, I just want to do this morning, I want to kind of bring into mind, into context, like what's going on there, right? Because what, whatever is happening in Corinth, in the context around this food sacrifice to idols, it's just really different to where we're at in life today, right, in Madison, Wisconsin. Like that's not a question that's often asked. But there's, there's a principle, there's a truth here that is relevant for us today. And so it, for the church of Corinth, they, they live in the city of Corinth, it's just, it's filled with idol worship. Everywhere you go in Corinth, idol worship was present. And there were many places that had tons of huge, huge temples for these, for these gods. And so what people would do is they, they would bring these animals to pagan priests in these temples, and they would bring it to them for, so that they would be sacrificed. They would sacrifice these animals, and then they would take some of the meat from this animal, and they would burn it as an offering to these gods. And then they would, they would cut off the rest of the meat, and then they would bring it to a market to just to be sold for food and profit. And now, a lot of these markets were actually placed right next to the temples, just so conveniently this food wouldn't spoil and they could actually really make a profit out of it. And now this caused a dilemma for the church. Because there seemed to be two camps of people, as, as Paul seems to state in this letter. This seems to be one camp of people who seem to be the more mature Christians, those who have been Christians longer. And they seem to have come to an understanding that we know, not just in our minds, but we actually know in our hearts that idols aren't real. We know that the, the, these, these temples they have, these like stone figures, these wood figures, it's nothing. It's just stone, it's just wood. And so therefore, like the meat that is sold, they felt, well, we can eat that. Because actually, God made that. And this is actually a way that we can just glorify and honor and enjoy God. Right? But then there seems to be another camp of people in the church. And these seem to be people who maybe were not as mature or had not been Christians longer. And it seemed that they came from a background of these temple worship. That not long ago, it seems Paul says, that they actually were living in that life, but now they have come into the light. And they believe that Jesus Christ is the one true sacrifice but for them, the idea of, of eating this meat, though they know these idols don't exist, though, though they know they're, they're false gods, for them to, to eat that meat that they used to sacrifice, it, it brought something upon their conscience. It brought a conviction to them to feel like, how can this be right? How, how can we do that? Like, we've repented of that. How can we still do that as Christians? And so the, the church has this, this difference between them. They have this dilemma, and they write this letter to Paul, right? One of the, the wise fathers in the church. And they say, Paul, what's going on here? So we, we want you to solve this problem for us. We want you to tell us, okay, like who's right? Are we right? The ones who kind of truly understand what this is about or, or are they right? Like do we eat this meat? Is this a sin or not? Like can you just bring clarity into our lives for us? Do you ever face an uncertain decision and you just want to know what the right choice is? Like do you ever feel that tension? When, when things aren't clear, right, do you ever wish God would just be like, yes, just pick this? Like, wouldn't that be so nice? Like, because a lot of times we're not talking about clear right and clear wrong. It's this kind of gray area, right? And we're like, God, I, I wish you would just tell me. Like, if you just tell me what to do, I'll do it. I just don't know what that is. And most of us tend to feel that tension. Because most of us are honestly, we're trying to do the right thing. We're, we're trying to obey God but in a life that's filled with unclear choices. And so a lot of times we open up our Bibles and we come with like very specific questions seeking very specific answers that the Bible doesn't necessarily give us, right? 
Because at its core, now the Bible totally has rules and commands and things that it's very, very clear on that God wants us to follow and obey. But at its core, the Bible is a narrative. It's, it's a book. It's God's word about who he is, about what he is like. It's about who, who, it tells us about who we are and how we can be in a relationship with God. And it shows us how that relationship between us and our creator in turn shapes and drives all that we do. It shapes how we think. It shapes how we spend our money. It shapes everything that we do. And it tells us about all the blessings that God has just graciously poured out on us. Like so much love, so much grace. And actually one of those gifts that God has given us as people who are created in his image is freedom and choice. God has blessed us with the opportunity to make choices. And he gives us the Bible and he gives us the spirit and he gives us communities so that we can make wise choices in areas of freedom. But how do we process these differences? Like what do we do when my rights and my freedoms affect you, right? What do we do when, when your rights and your freedoms affect me? How then do we steward the gift of freedom and choice? And, and now to clear it up, the, the difference that was happening here in the church of Corinth, it was not around an essential issue. It wasn't around an essential doctrine. It wasn't around anything that would change the true gospel. See, let's go back into the text. Go to, go to verse 4. And Paul says this, now about eating food, sacrificed to idols then. We know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him. And we exist through him. So, so Paul is clarifying that the church is holding on to this truth. This is a truth that they should not ever let go of, right? And the same is true for us. We should hold on to the essential doctrines of what the true gospel is, right? Other things like the inerrancy of the Bible as God's word, we need to hold on to that. We can't let go of that, right? Other things like the truth that salvation comes through faith alone, by grace alone and Christ alone, we need to hold on to that. Other truths like the Imago Dei, the truth that all people, regardless of race, class, are created in God's image, right? And they all have equal value given to them by their maker. The truth of God's purpose in creation regarding sex, marriage, and gender. Like those are the truths that the church needs to hold on to. But the question here wasn't around one of those things. The question was around what do we do in the places that God has given us freedom to choose? For the church of Corinth, that issue for them was food sacrificed to idols. Now, what about for us today? Doxa Church, living in Madison, Wisconsin, what are some of those things for us today? God has given us freedoms for us to exercise our, our wisdom from God to choose. You know, I think about things like, how do we decide how to vote? How do we decide if we should vote Democrat? How do we decide if we should vote Republican? How do we decide if we shouldn't vote at all, right? How do we decide how to obey God during this pandemic? Like, do we just outright obey the government God has put over us? Or, or should we not obey it in places that our Christian needs are, are, are being taken back? How do, we, how do we decide where are our Christian needs, right? What about drinking alcohol? 
Like, should we drink alcohol because the Bible doesn't outright forbid it? Or should we not drink it because of the many uh, dangers and examples and warnings that the Bible gives us about its destruction? What about more daily things? Like, how do we decide what music to listen to? Like, how do you decide what's okay to listen to? Like, should we only listen to Christ, outright Christian music? Or is it okay to listen to other music as a, as a means of God's common grace, these gifts that he has given to people for us to enjoy? Or how do we decide what, how much of profanity or whatever it is? Like, how do we make those choices, right? How do we decide what, what movies and what shows to watch? I think you get it, right? The, the truth is that a lot of our lives are lived in that gray area, right? And listen, I'm, I'm not trying to trigger anyone with like the most debated topics out there. It's like we all just took a deep breath, election's over. Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. But the truth is like, these are real life choices that we, we have. We just do. And these are some of the things that tend to cause the most division among us as a church, right? And, and we just don't like to talk about these very much. Like these are one of those things that are just like taboo, you don't talk about it, I don't talk about it. It's like this known agreement that most of us have. It's like, we don't talk about these, everything else is good. Like weather, what'd you eat today, what are you doing this weekend, good to go. Any of these things, it's like, no, don't mention those. But like, why is that? Like, why is it that as a community, as a church, the, the, the safest place we can actually be, like, why is, it, why is it that we don't talk about these things? And see, I, I think we don't know how to talk about our differences. I think that the church of Corinth, they're asking this question because they don't know how to talk about these differences, right? They don't know how to handle this difference that they have. And so they write to Paul, and they just want to know, hey, who's right and who's wrong regarding this difference? And we, we know God has given us his freedom, but, but really tell us who's right and who's wrong. And let's see, what, um, let's see what Paul tells them. Let's go back to verse 1. He says, now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Knowledge puffs up. The first thing that Paul tells them and regarding how do you about how to approach your differences is, I mean, plainly put in today's language, he says, hey, don't be a know-it-all who actually doesn't know it all, right? He says, don't come into your differences, just don't come in with, with all your facts, with all your proofs, just like guns blazing, ready to go. He says, don't do that. Like, don't come into your differences assuming that there's nothing that you can learn from those who have a different opinion than you. He says, don't approach your differences in this way. Have you, ever, have you ever found yourself in an, in an argument with somebody? Everybody's probably, yes, of course, right? So you're in these arguments, and they usually start off kind of like light, and it's like kind of playful, but there's like a hidden underlying tension usually like underneath those. And you're arguing, and kind of like this argument goes on. You get to that point where it's like you're actually willing to say or do whatever just to like win this argument. Like whatever you actually started arguing about, like it, it doesn't even matter anymore. Like you probably even forgot about it. But the point is like I've got to walk away winning this argument now. And when that happens, and let's say you te technically win the argument, and maybe you actually technically were right. Like whatever your point of view was may have actually been right. But do you think when that person walks away from this difference, from this argument, do you think they, they walked away feeling built up by love? Or do you feel like they felt torn down 
by your knowledge. See, I think as a, as a church, we care and love knowledge, and it's so important, right? I, I'm not saying to throw out knowledge, guys. That's not what I'm saying at all. And I'm not saying that, that as a community, as a church, that we shouldn't guide one another to truth. That's a Christian responsibility that we totally have as brothers and sisters. But what I'm saying is that there's more important things than just being right. There's more important things than approaching our differences as a know-it-all who actually doesn't know it all. I mean, how convicting is that verse too, right? If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. See, the question is, church, what if God created all these freedoms not as a way to tear each other down, but as an opportunity for us to build one another up in love? Like, how, how could we begin to view our differences in that way. Let's keep reading and find out. Let's go to verse 7. However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience being weak is defiled. Paul tells the community in Corinth, guys, empathize. Is, do you, I, I know you probably feel frustrated about, about their, your differences with them, but do you know why it's so hard for them to eat this meat? Like, do you know their story? Like, and she says, listen, I know you have your facts, and your theology is sound, like, you're right. And I know you have the right and freedom to eat this meat. Like, there's actually nothing wrong with you doing that. But do you know why for them it's so hard to do that? Do you know why they feel that that is wrong? Like, do, do you know their stories? Do, do you know where they came from? Do you know what their life was like before? Like, can, can you try to put yourself in their shoes? If you were then, and you had walked, you had been rescued out of this life of idolatry, how would you feel if this meat was put in front of you? How would you feel if you were asked to go as a Christian to these temples? Have you, have you tried to think about that? One of my best friends is... Uh, launching a team to India, and uh, they're planting a church there. And we, we were kind of talking about this passage, and uh, one thing came to mind for him when I, when I was sharing this. He said, he shared with me how when, when missionaries first came um, to India, he said a lot of people in India started believing in Jesus. And it was awesome, and it was incredible. But then he said as the missionaries be, began to see that, these, these new Christians in India would not eat meat especially would not eat beef. And they were troubled by that. And see, if a little background on India and, and Hinduism, um, you know, they believe in reincarnation and karma. And so, like, the better life that you live in this life, the greater, the greater of, a, of a way that you'll be reincarnated in the next. And one of, the, one of the, the most holiest and most honorable ways that you can be reincarnated is as a cow, right? So cows are sacred in India. If you ever go to India, like, they're everywhere, Right? And it's, it's illegal to eat beef, it's illegal to eat a cow, to kill a cow um, in India. And so when these missionaries got there and they see people believing in Jesus, but they're still refusing to eat this meat, the missionary said, wait, wait, that's not okay. He says, L listen, you know, right, like that form of reincarnation like isn't real, that's, that's not true, karma isn't a thing, like you can eat that. There's no problem with that. And so what they began to do was they began to force 
Christians in India to eat beef in front of them to prove that they were real Christians. He says, no, if you actually believe Jesus, if you actually believe the truth, like the Bible says this, right? There are no gods. Like you need to eat this to prove that you actually are a Christian. And see what the missionaries, the, I mean, in facts-wise, it was true. Like, there are no gods. Cows are nothing but cows. Like, their theology, their facts, all that was right. But what the missionaries didn't do is they never took the time to just try to understand their lives. The missionaries never took the time to understand why was it so hard for them to do, do that. They didn't, the missionaries never took the time to just stop and think, what would it have been like for me if I grew up my entire life believing that and overnight I'm supposed to just like completely let go this conviction that I've had they never took the time to do that right and it what they didn't realize either was that actually like that would be a hindrance to the gospel for Christians to eat meat in India and that is actually sadly like to this day he was sharing with me that this is a, a hurt that the people of India that Hindus still feel against Christianity to this day. And I just wonder, like, how, how different that could have been if the missionaries would have just stopped, right? They, they, they had their facts, they had their theology, right? But what if they would have just stopped and said, can you tell me more about why this is hard for you? Can you explain to me what it's like growing up Hindu in India? Can you imagine how, how different that outcome would have been if it had just taken the time to enter their lives, to enter their stories? I think about our, the differences that we have with one another. Like, how different do you think they would be if we just stopped for a second and we just took the time to, to ask questions like that? Can you explain to me what it, what it is like for you growing up? Can you explain to me wh- why this is hard for you? Can you explain to me, like, why you feel that conviction? When you have differences with others, do, do you try that? Do you try to enter into their lives and their stories and, and understand why it is difficult for them. See, that, that takes time. That takes empathy. That takes caring more about your brother and sister than just yourself. See, it's easy. It's easy to, to stand at a distance, to see other people's convictions, and just to say, to judge how you believe it's the freedoms and the way that they're choosing to believe things is just wrong. To judge how people communicate different than you, to judge how people might parent different than you, to judge how other people might do ministry different than you, to judge how other people taking media different than you. That's easy. But, but to enter, to take the time to enter into one another's lives, that takes love, that takes empathy, and caring one about one another more than just about ourselves. And I just think about how different, right, would our relationships be if we did that? And I think we just, we get so caught up in protecting what we have and protecting the beliefs and the rights and the freedoms that we have that we lose sight about what truly matters. See, I think if we just took a step back, right, and we just looked at our lives and at these differences that are happening in our lives, and we just took a step back and we just start, start asking questions like, hold on, what does truly matter? Like, what actually matters in my life as a Christian, what are the things that I should, that truly matter? See, I, I think we need to recalibrate our lives, right, and step back and ask those questions. What does truly matter? And Paul will answer that. So let, let's jump back in and let's go to verse 8 and keep reading. 
Food will not bring us close to God. Church, I want you to think about that. When you, when you hear food here, fill in the blank with those, those tensions, those things that tend to cause differences in your life with others. And hear this. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. Paul is telling them, guys, take a step back. He says, we're talking about food here. Right? He says, you're so concerned about, about the freedoms that you have and trying to guard them and trying to win these divisions that are happening between us, between us that you're, you're forgetting what actually matters. He says, you're missing the forest for the trees. Paul says, who cares about food? Like, who cares about food? It, God will not approve of you or love you more if you don't eat it. And God will not approve of you more, and he won't love you less if you do eat it. Like, he says it doesn't matter. He says it's food. It makes no difference. Eternally, it makes no difference. But he says, you know what does matter? He says, your brother and your sister who Jesus died for. Like, take a step back. Guys, this is your brother and your sister. That's what matters. Don't forget that. He says, Jesus died for them. Jesus died for their life. He says, you know what does matter? Viewing these freedoms and rights that you have, which first off, they were given to you as a gift. It wasn't like you earned it. He says, you were giving this as a gift. You were given freedom of choice to use it as a way to build up your brother and your sister, not as a way to tear them down. He says, you know what does matter? Look, seeing your actions as opportunities to build one another up. He says, that's that's what matters. He's calling them to remember. He says, you belong to one another. He says, you're a family. You're one body. You're forgetting that. Did you ever get in an argument with, with your, if you have siblings or your brother and siblings sometimes, did your parents ever have to remind you like, hey, we're on the same team here. Like, let's remember this, right? Like, we're, we're together. Like, I, I know we're fighting over things that we think we hate each other, but hey, we're on the same team. That's what he's telling them. He says, guys, take a step back. We're on the same team. And this is what he'll tell them later on in, in 1 Corinthians 12. Later on in this letter, Paul will say this to them. He says, instead, God has put the body together so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. He says, so if one member suffers, he says, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Because you're a family. You belong to one another. He says, their need, he says, think about that. That's your need. 
right? My joy, church, it's your joy, right? Your sorrow is my sorrow. How, how differently, right, when we view ourselves if we believe that, that we belong to one another? And to be honest with you, I tell you what would be different for me. I was working through the sermon, and, and one of the things I do, I just start asking questions from every verse. And when I read verse 9 through 12, it like floored me and not in a good way, right? So I'm, I'm going to read it again, and I want you to hear this. Verses 1 Corinthians 8, 9 through 12. He says, be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, sorry, I lost my place here, is ruined by your knowledge. Now when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their conscience, you are sinning against Christ. And I was like, what? I was like, I probably didn't read that right. And I literally like just read it again, right? And I was like, no, it says that. And I literally typed in all caps, what question mark, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. I was like, wait, how is that possible? How is it that because I have the right knowledge and they don't have that yet, that because I exercise my freedom and what is technically right, it causes them to stumble that it's my fault? I was like, how, how, is, that, how is that my fault? Like, how is it possible? That, that should be their fault, right? They're the ones that need to just get up and be where I'm at. That's literally what I was feeling as I, as I was reading this. It's like, and I thought, how is that fair? And it didn't take long for the Spirit of God to just convict me in that moment. And I heard those words, and I said, how is that fair? Man, I really felt the Spirit of God convict me and say, you want to know what isn't fair? All that you've been given in Christ. You know what isn't fair? That you're literally infinitely forgiven for all your sins. You know what isn't fair? That God loves you regardless of what you do because he loves you because of what Christ has done. Man, and my mind is just so naturally prone just to, to look at issues, to look at differences, and just to think about what is best for me. But I want to believe this. Like, I want to believe that we are a family and that your need is my need. And I want you to believe that my need is your need. And we all live in, in relationships in our lives, right? Whether it's our spouse, whether it's your roommate, whether it's your coworker, whether it's your neighbor. Like, we live in relationships in our lives. And the hard thing is we, we live in a broken world, right? We're broken, they're broken. And this naturally causes differences between us, causes tensions, causes grievances between us. And I want to ask you, wh what would it look like if, if in those moments, in those relationships, you tried to enter into their story more? What would it look like if, instead of just coming in with what you know and what you believe is right, and it might be, but there's just a bigger there's things that are more important than that. What if you try to enter into their story and just try to learn about them, their heart, their experiences in their life?
what, what would it look like if you entered into those relationships and you said, you know what, I'm going to lay down the rights and the freedoms that I have. And I'm going to care more about building them up in love. See, church, we, we have these opportunities every single day. We have the opportunities and the choices to, to hold on to our rights and freedoms and to just worry about what is right for me. Or we have the choice to, to let go of these rights and freedoms and to think about what is right for us. What would it look like to completely lay down one's rights and freedoms to build up others in love? It would look like the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, through whom all things exist, wearing a mockingly made crown of thorns, piercing his head, his body covered in blood and flesh, crucified naked on the cross. See, Jesus looked upon us who were actually wrong and who were actually guilty, who by the letter of the law, we deserve nothing but death and condemnation. All the suffering we were experiencing and would experience, we, we brought that upon ourselves. Jesus had every right to condemn us for our wrongs. Jesus had every freedom to leave us in our misery and need. But instead, Jesus entered into our lives and stories. Jesus entered into the brokenness of our world. Jesus entered into our suffering so much so that he would see it, and the Bible says he would weep over our lostness, over our hurt, over our brokenness. See, Jesus used his freedom to save us. Jesus used his freedom to live the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. Jesus used his freedom to die the death that we deserved. Jesus used his freedom to resurrect from the grave, to achieve the victory over sin and death that you and I needed. Jesus used his freedom to surrender everything, to build up the church of God, us, and to present us as a pure, beautiful, spotless bride. That I'll take everything, give whatever it takes, to build them up. What would our lives look like if we use our freedoms to build one another up in this way? What would our lives look like if we laid down our rights? good of one another. Why don't you close your eyes with me. I want you to think about and what are, what are those the rights, the freedoms, the differences that man, just bring division, 
bring brokenness into the relationships in your life? What are those things that are just so hard for you to just let go of, to loosen off your grip off of? What are those things? And I want you to look up and to think of Jesus hanging on that cross. And I want you to remember those voices that said, man, if, if you're powerful, if you could save others, why don't you save yourself? And I want you to look at the, the restraint of Jesus who would rather lay down all those rights and power that he had for the joy that was set before him to build up a people in love. And, and I want you to ask Jesus, how can I just let go of this? How can I just loosen up just this grip that I have on these things? How can I lay down my rights and my freedoms for the good of one another? Jesus, thank you. You laid down everything for us. Thank you. Help us lay down whatever we need to, God, to follow you. Jesus, help us lay, lay down whatever we need to to build up one another.